0: Good morning. How, do you, how do you not have joy after that, right? Just uh, smile a little bit. We're so grateful that you're with us this morning. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name's Taylor, one of the pastors here. And we're in a series called Defiant Joy. Everyone's say Defiant Joy. And we are we are as a church, we're kicking off the year as we as we pray over what we feel the Lord guiding and leading leading us. We felt The Lord lead us to the book of Philippians this year, and to start the year, not the whole year, that'd be a long, the whole year we're going to go through Philippians, but no, just the beginning of the year, and uh, we're going through kind of verse by verse. I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 12, Philippians chapter 1, get it together, Taylor. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through uh, 26. So we're going to read a few verses this morning, but how many know that the Lord wants you to have joy in your life? And we're going through the series called Defiant Joy, because at the end of the day, The Bible says that we have a very real enemy who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the God that created us, he has given us the spirit of God. And one of the fruits of the spirit of God is joy. And anything God gives us, the enemy is going to try and steal from us. And so we as a church, we're going through this book on Philippians to say, you know what? What's true joy? What's real joy? How do we have joy in the midst of all of this? And we're standing up in defiance against the enemy of our soul saying, that is not yours to steal. It's mine to receive in Jesus' name. And so may we as the people of God, as we study this morning at these few verses, may we lean into it that kind of confidence. I'm going to kind of go verse by verse through this. And I hope that you'll allow the scriptures, even as, as I'm speaking, the, the Holy Spirit, we kind of, ...teaching you things. Even if it's different than what I say, the Spirit would be kind of teaching you what you need for this morning. Amen. So would you stand to your feet, we do this at Calvary, uh, to read the Word. And just to remind ourselves to respect the Word. Philippians is a a prison letter. It's what we call a prison letter. Paul is in jail. And we're actually going to talk about Paul's jail experience a little bit this morning. And Paul's perspective on it. And this is the only letter that Paul wrote that wasn't a correction... This is a letter of joy. This is a letter of, of thank you. Paul was in, in prison a number of times. And in this culture, once you go to prison, when you come out of prison, you would have been uh, not welcomed into certain contexts. And the church of Philippi still welcomed Paul into their community, even after he went to prison and jail. And so this is his letter saying, thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for still believing that God's with me, God's for me, that God's using me in this ministry. And we're gonna find out that Paul didn't go to jail because he committed a crime. Maybe in, in essence of what we would see, he maybe, but he was preaching the gospel and the Roman Empire didn't like that he was preaching the gospel. And so this is where we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. If you're ready, Sam, ready? Here we are now. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy, some out of, but others out of goodwill, but the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, for the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, but sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. What does this mean? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and through God's provision, the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death, for to me, catch this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. For I desire to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress of joy in the faith. Last verse, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray these verses on, in your scriptures would come to life this morning. I pray that this wouldn't just be words on a page or words on a screen or words of me just talking but, or an intellectual experience or a lecture or just a, a good 30-minute talk. I pray these moments would be moments to engage with you. Lord, we say as your church, speak, Lord, we're listening. Speak, Lord, we're listening. I pray you'd speak to each person individually for what they need to hear this morning and shape us to become people of joy in a world that lacks a lot of joy. You have called us to be the people of joy, to step in, to be the joy bringers into the places that you've called us to be. So may it be so, in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen, you may be seated this morning. One of the things I get to do here at the church is I get to be a part of our our college. We have an on-site college here in partnership with Northwest University. It's called School of Leadership Essentials. And as a part of this, we have a number of experiences that we offer our students, some here at the church, and often, sometimes, we'll even take them to retreats, or uh, we got to take a number of students uh, last week to a conference in Atlanta, a passion call, uh, a conference called Passion. Has anyone heard of Passion Conference before? A few of you. How about, has anyone heard of Louis Giglio? Has anyone heard of, yes, okay, there we are. Uh, he is the pastor that leads Passion Conference, and so we took a handful of our students, and uh, so we got on the plane, we went to Atlanta. Atlanta. We got off the plane, and we our first stop was Popeye's Chicken. Amen. And um, I'm a Chick-fil-A loyalist. Like, I love Chick-fil-A. Uh, but I don't know. Popeye's gave Chick-fil-A a run for its money, I'm just going to say. And it might be better than Chick-fil-A. Just, just, just throwing it out there. Just uh, no booing in God's house, okay? <laughs> and uh, so... I have have an appointment with Chick-fil-A, not today because they're closed, but tomorrow. And so I'm gonna go check it out and compare the two. No, but it was, so we went to Popeye's Chicken and then we went to this conference and the first night we get there and like it's like off the plane then right to conference and, and we get there and we're like three rows up from the stage and it's like, Carrie Job, Cody Carnes, Christine Kane. And it's just like this incredible experience. These people that like, for me anyway, like, are, like are, are legends of the faith. They're sharing the gospel all over the United States, all over the world, and I like just admire them so much. And so we're there and, and just to hear, uh, it's, it's a small little conference, like 20 or 25,000 uh, young adults. Like it's just, no, it's huge, right? And so we're like everyone proclaiming the name of Jesus and it's just this powerful experience. And so night one was great, we go back to our hotel We go back for the next day, we get there, I thought pretty early, like an hour and a half early. And uh, we found out that, and we knew this, but it was just like, it didn't really register that, you didn't really have an assigned seat. So there was a chance that if you didn't get there early enough, you'd be, so we didn't get there. An hour and a half wasn't early enough. It's like coming to the 11 a.m. service at Calvary. You gotta come like three hours early, right? (laughs) And so we're there and we're out the line and we get the door, we're trying to get to the lower bowl and we don't get to the lower bowl. And so, we had to go all, you know, we're going up to the nosebleeds, way to the top of this arena in Atlanta. And we get up there, and I got, I'm not going to lie, if I could just be a little bit honest in front of all of you, I was a little bit bitter, right? I was just like, I'm, I like, as the leader, I felt like, gosh, like, I could have led these students better. Like, we could have got there a little earlier. Maybe if we chose a different entrance. I didn't do enough research. Like, all these things to, like, and as people, by the way, people are going into this conference, like, fighting with each other, right? I'm like, we're going to worship the lord we don't gotta like you know fight here right and so it's it's tough to get a seat so i'm feeling a little bit i'm annoyed and so we get it you know we're sitting up way up top and then worship starts and i'm i'm getting into worship and i just feel the lord be like taylor you are so ungrateful and you're here like he's like lovingly he's telling me this right he's like he's like i've brought you to atlanta you get and i'm like yes lord you're right like and then like my perspective began to shift and like in worship and, and he's, he's kind of shifting my heart. And then um, as the worship ends, the speaker comes out and her name is Catherine Wolfe. And she has an incredible story. She was, um, she, she was, had everything the American dream we would, have, we would have dreamed to have. She had health, she had a beautiful home, she had an amazing job, married kid, like everything that we would hope to have in the American dream she had. And then she had a stroke. At like age like in her thirties or early forties, she had a stroke. And just out of nowhere, no they don't know why. And and it really kind of affected her entire life. She she lost a lot of mobility, she wasn't really able to fully recover from it. But she knew that God was going to use her story in amazing ways. And so now she, um, she has a camp in somewhere back east for people with disability that she invites them and they have camp. And she, her whole thing is like this, to, to live as people of, of joy in the midst of tough circumstances. And in fact, at the end of her message, so by the, by the way, I'm sitting up there just like, Lord, this is just breaking my heart. And like it's totally shifted my whole perspective and all these things. And she ends her talk with this. And I want to show it to you this morning. Let's watch this together.
1: May you see your life as a good hard story that God himself is writing. May you open your hands to release old dreams and receive new ones. May you find that the miracle you've been looking for is is and has been right in front of you all along. May you accept the stunning capacity you have to endure because of Jesus who endured for you. May you live out the hardest parts of your life with a joyful rebellion against the darkness. May you believe that the boundary lines around your life are good and pleasant because God uniquely assigned them to you. May your invisible wheelchairs somehow become avenues to a new kind of freedom because of Jesus. And above all, may this be so for
0: every person in this room. Wow, huh? Her whole, her premise of her talk was that some of us have wheelchairs you can see, but all of us have wheelchairs on the inside, invisible wheelchairs, things in our life. And I love what she said, having a joyful rebellion, a joyful rebellion against the darkness. I think this is what we're gonna find in Paul's story this morning as we read Paul's experience in Philippians chapter one and how God meets him. He has a joyful rebellion against the darkness. He has a defiant joy to say against the darkness. Paul's in jail he's in miserable circumstances. Like, like he, he, is, he is tied to a Roman guard 18 to 24 hours of day, not in like the jails as we think of them today that are clean, semi-clean and with warmth and heat. And, no, no, no. It's not, a, it's not pleasant conditions for Paul. He's there not because he deserves to be there per se, he's there because of persecution. He's there because the Roman Empire is, is, is tired of Paul using his life to spread the gospel because it's competing against Caesar. It's competing against the Roman Empire. So he's in jail, in chains, and, and, and he begins to write his heart. And here, here's what he says. We'll, we'll, we'll jump into Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me, why I'm here, has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul, Paul he's, this is at the very beginning of this letter. He has a few opening things that Pastor Ray opened and talked about with last week and incredible opening. And then he gets this point, he's like, I just wanna let you know, the reason I'm here in jail is so that the gospel can continue to move forward. Aren't you just, I mean, would that be your perspective? For me, probably not. He's just there to say, hey, what's happened to me? And if you want to read 1 Corinthians 11, you can see all the things and the extent to Paul's suffering, things like flogging and beating. He's been in and out of prison. He's been starved. He had death threats. And the list could go on. Yet in the deepest core of who Paul is and the things that he said, he's like, all those things, have happened so the gospel can move forward. Paul Paul was so clear that the things in his life where so that God could use the tough things and the easy things and the good things, no matter what it was, all of it was being used so the gospel can move forward. So he's like, hey, I'm in, I'm in prison now, I'm in jail, and I'm tied to this, to this palace guard. Now who's the palace guard? This would be like the secret service today. This would be like, like the highest of the high, super trained. They're like, we gotta make sure this Paul guy never gets out of jail, so we're gonna put the palace guard with them. He's like, sweet, love that the palace guard's here. I shared the gospel with all the palace guard. <laughs> in fact, he's like, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't have probably had a chance to share the gospel without, the pal- without being in prison next to the palace guard. So he, he's like, this, this opportunity of persecution, this opportunity to be in prison, this opportunity here to share the gospel with this palace guard that then spread throughout the rest of the palace guard, which by the way, would, would have been the people that would have had the leader of Rome's ear the most. Paul's like, God's using this to share the gospel. (laughs) Can I I tell you this morning? There is is no prison that can stop God's purpose. There is no prison that can stop God's purpose. And, And here's what I know is that there's some people in this room this morning that you are in a prison of some sorts. You're chained to something of some sort. Some circumstance, some difficulty, some relationship, some anxiety, some addiction, some worry, And it's hard. And Paul doesn't negate that it's not hard. It's hard. Catherine Wolfe, her whole message was talking about how hard it was, how difficult it was. But in the midst of those hard things are moments where God meets us and creates opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise. No prison can stop God's purpose. And I guess my encouragement would be if you find yourself in in one of those seasons, as difficult as 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 it can be, keep leaning in. Keep saying, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to learn? How can I learn through the season? Because those of us that have gone through these kinds of seasons, we know we learn things in those seasons that you can't learn on the mountaintop. You learn seasons in the valley that you cannot learn on the mountaintop. And there are things on the mountaintop you'll learn that you won't learn in the valley. But I, I just dare to say some of the things in the valley are the things that are the hardest to learn but the most important for us to learn. No prison can stop God's purpose. So not only, not only did the whole prison guard and all the people that were there hear about Jesus, Paul says because he was in jail, all the followers of Jesus in Rome were living with more confidence. All the leaders were speaking with more boldness. They weren't speaking courageously. They were speaking with, 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 without a fear. They were speaking with a courage. And, and I, think, I think maybe what it did for these followers of Jesus in Rome after hearing Paul's in jail, what it, what it did for them is it helped them realign their priorities. What it did for them was be as as they saw Paul suffering so well in prison, if I can say it that way. When they saw Paul suffering so well in prison, they said, you know what? I need to get my priorities straight. Is Jesus the main thing in my life as well? In fact, I love this passage of scripture in Acts chapter 16. It's another moment when Paul's in prison. Here's what it says on the screens. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into a prison. And you're like, Taylor, you're going to talk about Paul in prison all morning? Probably. And the jail was commanded... To guard them carefully. Verse 24. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So in one jail, just keep it up on the screens, but in one jail, Paul is he is uh, he his his ministry is to the palace guard, and this jail his ministry is to the other prisoners. Wherever you're at this morning, there's a ministry. Wherever you're at, there's an opportunity to share. Verse 26. And so suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So then the jailer who was sleeping on the job woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul's like, no, 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 no. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and all of your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. Don't you love this? Paul, I'm in jail, so I'm just gonna start worshiping. We'll see what happens. Silas, come join me. And they, they begin to worship. They begin to just to give praise to God. God sends this earthquake, unlooses their chains, opens the door, and Paul's like, actually, hold on. I don't think we should walk out yet. Not me, I'd be like, I'm out of here, right? <laughs> Paul's like, hold on. So then the, the jailer, who was, he's like, he was saved. He got saved because Paul realized his moment in prison wasn't a moment just to waste, but a moment to use. No prison can stop God's purpose, church. Whatever you're up against today, may you know that God is more powerful, that God is stronger, and he will not waste a hurt. He will not waste a season of discouragement. God will walk with you through that. And everyone say amen in that. Here's, let's continue reading Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. It is true, Paul says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, when you read a passage of scripture like this, I think the natural, I think what should be going through your mind, at least for me when I read it, and I hope it does for you, you should be saying like, this doesn't feel like Paul saying this, right? Because if you read some of other Paul's letters, if you read, you know, Paul wrote a number of the New Testament, and you can read his letters, and a lot of it was him correcting false motive. A lot of it was him correcting the heart a lot of it was him rebuking wrong things and sin and brokenness in the church so for paul to be in a jail cell and to say whether someone preaches from envy or rivalry or out of selfish ambition without gen- without being genuine it's okay because i still rejoice because the gospel is preached should make us think a little bit should make us say why Why is he, why would he say it like that? And for me, when I, when I read this and you look into context, you know, Paul had a big platform. Paul spoke at a lot of places. Paul would have been someone that people, churches would have wanted him to speak at their church. He was the one that probably planted the church, to be honest. And so he was the founder of this church. And so people would have wanted Paul to speak at these places. And clearly he couldn't speak because he's in chains in a jail. And so all of these leaders were standing up. There was a leadership vacuum and All these leaders were stepping up, but they were stepping up and preaching with the wrong motive. They were preaching against Paul's message. They were preaching against Paul's heart. They were preaching their own version of the gospel. And Paul had the character and Paul had the wherewithal to know, in the midst of this, there is no human that is going to take down the church. (laughs) There's no human motive that is going to take down the gospel. The gospel, the Bible says, that when the word of God goes forth, it will not return void. And so in other words, on the screens, no motive is more powerful than the message of the gospel. That even if someone has wrong motive and the gospel is preached, how many know the gospel and the truth of the gospel is more powerful than the person preaching the gospel? <laughs> in fact, the Bible says this isn't by human wisdom or human strength or human knowledge. The power is in the gospel. And this is what God does. God uses those moments. Motives matter. Motives matter. God uses people even if their motives are wrong, but I promise you this God does not keep people in leadership if their motives are wrong forever. (laughs) God loves his church, and God will do anything to protect his church and to keep his church holy. And God will use broken people, and God will, how many know? God can use any circumstance to, to, to send the gospel to people. I know lives have been changed through wrong motives time and time again, but at the end of the day, God will always remove people with wrong motives and leadership. I believe this. Now, this doesn't mean perfection, are you with me this morning? Because <laughs> if, if you're looking for perfection, sorry, I'm not that guy, and <laughs> I don't know anyone that is, right? No perfect people allowed at Calvary, but what I love about our teaching team at Calvary, what, was so funny, I'm not perfect, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but what I love about our team here at Calvary, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Ray, and I know these two men very well, is we love you more than we love preaching. Like burning, burning in our hearts and why we spend all week praying and thinking and laboring over these scriptures is so that when we get the opportunity to stand in front of you on a Sunday morning, it's so that you would, be, you would be so built up into who God's calling you to be. And for me, if my motive is ever anything again, I, I pray God takes me out of this. But my heart truly in our hearts as a team and a staff is that you be built up into who God's calling you to be. And we love you so much. That's why sometimes we speak the hard truths. And sometimes you go to church, like I feel like Pastor Ray was talking directly to me. Maybe he was because the spirit put something on his heart and he loves you enough to say the hard truth. (laughs) Right? And so maybe so that in motive, and it's easy, like, it's easy to, to look at the guy on the platform and say, yeah, let's make sure that Pastor Taylor, because he's the one that's speaking, has right motive. How about you, though, in sharing the gospel? Do you have right motive in sharing the gospel in your workplaces where you go and the place that God's calling you? Because uh, maybe you, hopefully we can agree with this, that the only time the gospel is to be rec- proclaimed is not just at church. Amen? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And all of us are called to proclaim the gospel in the places we go. And may it be done with right motive and right heart. And maybe so that God does that in uh, us. I love what it says in Romans chapter one, verse 16. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the what? Power. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Motives matter. And Paul knew that motives matter, but he knew that no motive is more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did that make sense this morning? Good, at least Jesse was with me this morning, which is great. (laughs) Thanks, bro. Let's keep reading. Philippians chapter one, verse eighteen, these last few verses this morning. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul just keeps on rejoicing. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will churn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what Paul had? Paul, Paul didn't just know that the message was more powerful than motive and Paul knew that no prison could stop God's purpose. What Paul had is he had this confident, everyone say confident. He had this confident expectation of God's deliverance. So Paul knew in this jail cell, Paul knew that God was going to deliver him regardless. Paul knew that if he was in in jail and that he lived the rest of his life in that jail cell, that God was going to deliver him to be in heaven with him one day. And he knew that if God released him from this jail cell, he was going to be delivered to go and to spread the gospel to more people outside the jail cell. What's defiant joy? Defiant joy is a confidence in God's deliverance. Paul says it this way. He's like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now our culture says it the opposite way. Our culture says to live is comfort and to die is a loss. The message that our culture is telling us is that just be comfortable in your life. Just just as long as you're good, everything else is good. That's not the gospel, my friends. The gospel is about us living in response to the God that gave it all for us even including his life. Why can Paul say to live as Christ, to die as gain? Because he understood the person of Jesus Christ who came and he had this great exchange with us that when his death on the cross meant life for us, that when God died, he died the death that you were supposed to die and I was supposed to die, and the exchange he gave us this resurrection life that we sang about this morning. So why could Paul say to live as Christ, to die as gain? Because he understood life in Christ. He said life in Christ, What's life in Christ? Life in Christ is all the promises of God are yes and amen. Life in Christ is that he has come that I might have life and have it to the full. What's life in Christ? It's that he's given me every breath in my lungs, so the least I can do is worship him with the breath that he's given me. What is life in Christ? Life in Christ is he has given me a love that the world cannot comprehend or understand. It's it's a love that because of Jesus on the cross, nobody can take away from me. Life in Christ is something more valuable than a billion dollars to have a relationship with him. A life in Christ is to abide with him and experience the fullness of Christ. In fact, another way in Colossians, Paul describes life in Christ as being hidden in Christ. He says, when you, when you go into a relationship with Jesus, you have been hidden with Christ. That all the blessings and the, the fullness of God, and when you're in relationship with him, are yours. Whose strength are you living in this morning? Are you living in the strength of you trying to live out the Christian experience in your strength? That will last about 10 minutes, <laughs> But I promise you, if you live in God's strength and this abiding strength that comes when you are in Christ, in Christ, like just choosing every day to say, all right, God, this this life is yours. You've given me another day. Help me to number my days. Help me to know that I'm not gonna be here forever, but the days that you give me, I wanna live life in Christ. I wanna live every day as if it's the last day. Live every day as if like, what's my legacy? What's God gonna use me for? This is why Paul, in summary, could say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because he knew and he was confident in God's deliverance. He knew that regardless of what his life looked like here, God was gonna use it because no prison could stop his purpose and no motive was more powerful than the message of the gospel. And yes, he had this expectation that God was gonna deliver him. He He was gonna use him. He was gonna get him maybe either out of the bondage of chains or he was gonna deliver him to be in heaven. And church, that's worth living for today. Knowing that you have an attorney to look forward to absolutely changes the way you live on earth. Does it not? Paul says in other places, he says, if we live our lives and forget about eternity, we as followers of Jesus are of most people to be pitied. If this is all that we're here to look forward to, it's just 85 or 105 or 155, depending on how long you get to live on this earth. It's not all there is. This is just kindergarten in comparison to what God has for us later so maybe so. We live, like we live like Paul. This is regardless. Put me in chains. Can you imagine how frustrating it was for the Roman people with Paul? <laughs> like, this guy just keeps spreading the gospel everywhere. Put him in the most secure prison ever. They put him in prison. He's like, yep, chain me up. That's great. Awesome. Love it. Hey, all the prison guard, I want to make sure you all know about who Jesus is, right? <laughs> Tells them all about Jesus. They're like, Gosh, like, okay, maybe we just need to kill Paul. He's like, sounds good. To live is Christ, to die is gain, right? And they're like, what do we do with this guy? But he got it. Like, the gospel had such a power on his life, he got it. I'll end with this story this morning there's a, there's a monk. His name is Talimachus. This is in the fourth century. AD, in Roman era, and he made a pil- pilgrimage to Rome. He'd never been to Rome before. So he made a pilgrimage to Rome, and he ended up in one of the Roman Colosseums. And now there would be these, like, these Colosseums would fill in Rome for these gladiator fights. And gladiators, they would, they would essentially, they would fight to the death. And it was entertainment for the Roman people. This is what they did for entertainment. So Telemachus had never been to Rome. He goes and he watches these gladiators salute to Caesar and say, this is for you, Caesar. Honor to live for you and honor to die for you. And Telemachus, as a follower of Jesus, has these checks in his spirit. He's like, this is not right, not right. So then the games begin, they they begin to fight and people are losing their lives and people are cheering and, and, and Telemachus, he stands up in his seat and says, in the name of Christ, stop. Now, hist- history says that Tom is this was a shorter guy. And so, in the name of Christ, stop. I kind of imagine him like with a high-pitched voice. I don't know my mind. In the name of Christ, stop, right? Because like, <laughs> no one's hearing him, right? He's like, he's, and no one's hearing him. And so he's like, Talmachus, he gets frustrated. So he walks down, he hops the fence. He's now in the arena with all the gladiators, little monk Tom And He's there, and... He keeps saying, in the name of Christ, stop. Human life is more valuable than this. In the name of Christ, stop. And he's trying to pull these gladiators apart. And as you can imagine, now there's a scene. All the people are saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. So he gets in the middle of one of the gladiator sores and his life was ended. And history says his last dying breath was, in the name of Christ, stop. In the name of Christ, stop. Well, then according to the history, that everyone was silent because this little man caused them all to say, is this really right? And one by one, silently, people leave that Roman Colosseum. And it gets back to the leader and they decide to never do gladiator matches, at least in that way, ever again. One person, one person changed the course of whom, how many lives were saved in the future because one person was in Rome and decided, that's not right. I'm gonna live for something different. What is that? That's someone that has understood the power of to live as Christ, to die as gain. All it takes is one person to change a workplace. All it takes is one person to generationally change a family. All it takes is one person to impact a student ministry. All it takes is one person to change a school. All it takes is one person to change a hospital. All it takes is one person to change a church. All all it takes is one person willing to say to live is Christ, to die is gain. All of my life is yours, Lord. May it be so. Amen? May it be so. We're gonna end receiving communion this morning. And the ushers are gonna come and they're going to pass out the elements. And don't forget to take two cups. And this team's gonna sing a song over us this morning and then uh, I'll come up and I'll lead us through communion in just a few moments.